We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com, your home for everything Lakers. This is the LakersNation.com live podcast. If you're coming in from YouTube, from Facebook, from Twitter, welcome in. We've got a lot of Lakers basketball to talk about. We'll talk a little bit about the NBA playoffs as well, starting a little bit earlier than than we typically do, but that Warriors-Mavs game got done pretty quickly, so we're not hitting that 9 o'clock Pacific time time slot that we usually sit in. Instead, eh, we're about 25 minutes early, but... Hopefully everybody is still in here joining us again from YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. Welcome in, everybody. If you're listening to the podcast version of this after the fact, appreciate all the kind words that we've been getting in the reviews over there. Some incredible comments that have been coming in. Again, we read them all. Truly appreciate all the reviews that we've been getting there. And, of course, the five-star ratings as well. Joining me tonight is Mike White. Mike, how are you doing, man? Hey, man, I'm doing good. How about yourself? Doing well. Are you surprised at the way tonight's game went? The the Warriors and, and the Mavs, the Warriors just, I mean, turning it on in the second half and it turned into a blowout for much of, of the third and fourth quarter? I, I think I was a little surprised to see it ultimately being a blowout in game one. Um, but like we were just talking about before we got on air, the, the Mavs did just come out of a seven-game series, and you can kind of see the fatigue at least a little bit. Um, I'm not quite sure the percentage, but I'm sure it was well below 25% from three-point range. They missed a lot of open, wide-open shots over and over again. So I, I'm a little surprised, to be honest with you. I ultimately picked the Mavs to win it in seven, going with my underdog pick. But, um, wow, I was really surprised to see them miss that many open shots tonight. But credit to the Warriors' defense because they definitely didn't make it easy. Yeah, the Mavs shot 23% from three tonight. Three for 10 from Reggie Bullock, which, I mean, is 30%. He makes one more of those. You're talking 40%. So, really, we're talking about one missed shot there. But but 10 looks, and I thought they were all good looks, open looks, and I was surprised he didn't knock down more than that. Luka, three for 10, six for 18 Overall on the night, only 20 points, seven boards, four assists for Luka, which is a good night for most people in the NBA. But Luka, of course, is on a different level. Steph Curry didn't have to do too much. 21 points, 12 boards, which is an anomaly, but four assists, one steal, one block, three for nine from three. You know, the Warriors, 56% from the field, 35% from three. Very, very efficient. And um, 
I mean, look, they took advantage. I think this Mavs team may have looked a little bit tired, but should they have? I mean, they, they blew out the Phoenix Suns. It didn't seem like they had to exert themselves that much. Uh, did you think the Mavs kind of ran out of steam, or is this just the Warriors are, are that good? Um, I, I think it, I don't think they, they couldn't have ran out of that much steam. The, the way they blew out Phoenix last game, again, Luka Doncic didn't even play in the fourth quarter, so they should have been more prepared. I think after coming off such an emotional win, though, if you look at it from that standpoint, it could be a little draining. You're knocking out the team that just went to the championship last year in the Phoenix seven-game series. You got it done on the road. So I could see in some cases where emotionally draining, they weren't quite as locked in, weren't quite as focused as I thought they could have been tonight. And again, like we've already stated, shooting 23% from the three-point line, nine times out of ten, you're going to lose that game. But I did say on defense, on defense, they definitely looked tired. Mm -hmm. The Warriors looked like they were just a, a different class team against them as far as off-ball movement cutting so many so many layups so many points in the paint i'm sure the warriors got up to at least 45 points in the paint last time i checked it was 42 so at least defensively it looked like they were just a step slow and not ready to take on this new challenge which is the golden state warriors 44 points in the paint so almost there for mm -hmm. for the warriors in this one but yeah they were getting into the paint at will which i mean the mavs they tend to like to stretch things out they run maxi kleba in there who can protect the rim a little bit but it's not like they run a traditional big back there trying to uh wall off the basket or anything like that they instead instead try to stop guys on the perimeter which is which is fine defensively they've been really good but they just couldn't quite get it done against the Warriors in this one. Uh, the Boston Celtics lost uh, last night to the Miami Heat, which brought a smile to the face of many a Lakers fan out there. Plus, the Phoenix Suns went home, so that certainly helps as well. Uh, Boston and Miami, who do you have? I'm assuming you've got, you said you have Mavs in seven coming out of this series? Seven, yes, over the Warriors. And for the Boston and the Heat, I took Boston in seven. Now, I took them before I realized as Al Horford yes. and Marcus Smart were going to be missing for game one. So that kind of threw me off. But yeah, I took um, Boston in seven. Yeah, and I I think that could swing the series, potentially those guys being out. But as of right now, word is that Marcus Smart is going to give it a go uh, in this next in game two against the Miami Heat. Al Horford, though, is, is doubtful to play in that one still. Uh, in health and safety protocol. So we'll see what ultimately happens there. Obviously, Lakers fans would not be too sad if the Celtics do not make it <laughs> to the NBA Finals, or at least most Lakers fans. Anyway, but Mike, we've got a lot of questions and comments that are coming in already. I've got a lot of people that are putting out their projections for what they see happening in this series. Um, <laughs> I, I've got some funny comments coming in here too, but let's get into this. Uh, Armin Brar said, can the Lakers please invest in a good three-point shot creator that can force switches off screens and either get a three or easy layup from LeBron or AD? You know, I, I mean, I felt like they had that to a degree in, in Malik Monk. And you could say Malik Monk is still a little bit raw and, and all of that. And that's, oh yeah, he's still a young player. But they had some of that this, this last season. For me, it's not so much, can you get three-point creators or three-point shooters? It's can you get guys who can both defend and give you that floor spacing on the offensive? And to me, it's it's more than just they didn't have shooters. It's that they didn't have two-way players this year. What what do you think? Do they just need to find more guys who can knock in shots from deep? Uh, no, I agree with you. We need to look for, for three and pass. Like, 
Wayne Ellington, who mostly plays one side of the court, even though he does give his effort on the other side. A Stanley Johnson, who we've, you know, raved about defensively, but three-point shot was kind of just okay this year, not really known as a three-point shooter. So, like, like, like every team in the league needs, we need three and D players, guys who can get it done on both ends, guys who can attack the basket, create for others at times, but can still give you that 100% on both sides of the court, especially just keeping guys out of the lane. That's just one of my biggest pet peeves I had with the Lakers this year. We gave, it, gave up so many three-point shots because we didn't have the foot speed on the perimeter to keep guys out of the paint. So if we can find some lift or at least some, you know, more defensive-minded guys who can shoot, hey, maybe, what, 37 38%, I would be more happy with that. I think it fits better with LeBron James and Anthony Davis when you've got guys who can give it on both ends of the court. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's part of the reason why we saw guys like Stanley Johnson, like Austin Reeves, those guys thrive, is because, and you could say, well, they're not quite efficient enough from three. That's fair, but they also bring it on the defensive end of the floor. They give you what you need there, I'm of the mindset of if a guy shoots 42% and doesn't defend at all, give me the guy who shoots league average and defends like crazy. I would rather have that, the guy who can just keep defenses honest and can give you something on the defensive end rather than the guy that's a turnstile on defense, but it's just a knockdown shooter. I don't think there's a place on a Lakers team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, which is one of the big picture topics I'm going to get into in terms of roster construction. I think they made a lot of mistakes last summer in terms of how they put the roster together. I want to talk about how they fix that. But first, I've got a super chat here from Suds from YouTube. Said, can we swap AD for Aiton and some wings slash picks? So I'll talk about mm. it in terms of the, the cap and the way functionally a move like that would, would work or not work uh, in this case. But just in theory, if you could swap out Anthony Davis and you could get DeAndre Aiton and some wings, let's say it's... I, one of Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, some of the, I don't think you're getting Mikhail Bridges, maybe, uh, but it, you could get a, a decent 3 and D wing, maybe a second round pick or first round pick, some, something like that. You can get some stuff along with Aiden in exchange for trading AD. Would you do that? Um, If we're talking Aiden and a Mikhail Bridges, I'm yeah. doing it immediately because you, you get the runner of defensive player of the year, Mikhail Bridges, 6'8". Can do, can do it all, both sides. We've shown, he's even shown he can hit a little mid-range jumper, and then you add Aiton in there. But the thing about Aiton, and then we're talking about a lesser wing, for me, just watching him in this playoffs, it's still some things that are left to be desired as far as his motor, as far as how bad he actually wants it. I mean, I, I don't ever want to doubt a guy's desire, but against that Maverick series, I tweeted out, man, Aiton should be averaging like yeah. 30 and and 15 against the Mavericks, and, he, and 14 and 10 just doesn't seem good enough for the number one pick. So mm, I would kind of have to think about it. Unless you're telling me you're giving me Mikael Bridges, then, okay, now we could talk. We throw in some picks, AD for DeAndre Ayton and Mikael Bridges. I'll take that. But just for a lesser wing, I just don't know about DeAndre Ayton yet, and I still think that's a, a question the Suns have to answer in this offseason. Is he worth the money because he's a restricted free agent? So I'm not quite sure about that. I still have some questions about DeAndre mm -hmm. Ayton. Even though he would be available, I don't know if he can replace everything that AD gives you when healthy. Ayton is a very good big, but you have to question, and I think this is still fair to, to say this is an unknown, how good is he really versus how good 
is are Chris Paul and Devin Booker at setting him up? Is he a guy yep. that you can give the ball in the high post and say, go to work and, and count on him to get you a bucket? I don't know. And I think he's very talented in terms of his skill set in today's NBA, but I don't know if I'm if I'm making that swap. I think that right now it's fair to say that Anthony Davis is ceiling. And I look, I understand a lot of people are concerned about the injuries. A lot of people think like he's damaged goods. He's going to be injured forever. You're never going to get a healthy AD. Trade him, get what you can. I understand people who are of that mindset right now. But in terms of ceiling, I don't think we've seen DeAndre Ayton get anywhere close to Anthony Davis's ceiling as a player. And I think that matters for a Lakers team that is always built around superstars. Um, from a cap perspective, it doesn't work uh, because DeAndre Ayton is going to be a free agent. So we're talking about a sign-and-trade scenario. And if the Lakers were to receive a player in a sign-and-trade, that would trigger the hard cap. And given the contracts they have on the books right now, they can't trigger the hard cap and actually field a, an NBA roster, a legal roster. So does not work from that perspective. Now, if you're talking about buying out Russell Westbrook, waving and stretching the salary, okay, then, then we can talk. Or if you're going to pay OKC to eat some salary, whatever it is, um, you'd have to shed some salary in order to do it is what I'm getting at. And I think that's where even if you're even if you feel like, oh, trading for Aiton is the right move, the hoops you'd have to jump through in order to make it work, I think would be enough of a, a deterrent to where it wouldn't happen. Uh, Mario Hernandez with another super chat said, Trevor, when do you see the league expanding to 32 teams? Of course, one in Seattle and Vegas is the next choice. But if not, what city deserves a franchise? So let's say. For whatever reason, Vegas is off the um, off off the table. Where would you go? And as far as when, I think it's within a couple of years we're going to see expansion really really hit the NBA. Uh, what other city would you turn to, Mike? Mm, so I, I like the Seattle idea. I like the I like the idea of bringing the Supersonics back. Uh, I think I'm gonna go with Seattle. Actually, I, I like the idea of bringing the Supersonics back. Obviously, if you remember in their heyday, mm -hmm. Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, different guys of that nature. So I think Seattle would be a nice place to bring an NBA team back. Always love their jerseys too, by the way. Well, I think Seattle is the is the definite. They're, when they do when they expand, there's going to be two two teams going to come in. I think Seattle definitely gets one. The the strong front runner is Vegas to get the other one, and it makes sense. The NBA has the relationship already built in with Las Vegas because they run summer league there. I can't wait; it's it's coming up. We're almost there. July seventh, summer league starts up. Um, it's going to be a blast out in Las Vegas. But what if they decide, for whatever reason, if they decide to say no to Vegas or no to Seattle, where should that second team? come from i mean like vancouver is interesting to go back to vancouver I, I didn't feel like they should have lost the grizzlies to begin with that was an, an interesting team um i know there was talk wasn't there talks about adding a team to mexico uh -huh. mexico and so that could always be an option yes yeah that that could be one as well um i think what's going to be interesting is when they do it how do you balance the league how do you balance things out because i think somebody's going to go east and i would imagine assuming it's vegas and seattle coming in we're talking about Minnesota, Memphis, maybe. One of those two teams probably goes east. And uh, I also think it could be an opportunity to completely redraw the NBA map and change the way the divisions work in the NBA. But that's probably a couple of years away before we see that happen. By the way, this is this is a little just a, a shameless name drop here. The last time I was in Las Vegas to go record at uh, Blue Wire Studios, I just so happened to run into... Las Vegas Raiders tight end Darren Waller was there at, at the studios oh. recording right before me. And so I got to, and 
first of all, that was that was great getting getting to meet him and hang out with him for a little bit. But I talked with, with him for a little bit about the city of Las Vegas and how viable an NBA team would be there, what his experience has been like with fans and that sort of stuff. And he said, oh, 100%, this city is the city's ready. They can definitely, definitely support an NBA team in Las Vegas. So I think it's it's probably going to happen. I think it's going to be Vegas and Seattle. Trevor, Trevor out here running into Darren <laughs> Waller. Hearing that name hurts me because when, when the Packers traded Devontae Adams, I, I'm sure you saw the article. They were trying to get Waller in mm-hmm. return and the get nothing. So that 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 just hurts hearing. <laughs> I had I had forgotten about that that connection. I apologize for for uh, for opening that old that old wound there. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, Let's talk a little bit about roster construction and okay i guess here's here's my big picture concern with the lakers and what we saw last summer i didn't feel like there was ever really a cohesive plan and maybe this goes back into the too many cooks in the kitchen um complaint that a lot of people have had you've got uh genie boss you've got rob palenka you've got the rambi you've got Curtin linda rambis now you've got magic johnson now you've got Phil Jackson, you've got Joey and Jesse Buss, all these different people that have a say in the decision-making process. And it, maybe that was a factor in the Lakers looking directionless last season. It didn't feel like there was a cohesive plan in terms of these are the players that we're getting. We're getting them because this is going to be our identity as a basketball team. I felt like they never had an identity. And maybe that's evidenced by 41 different starting lineups in an 82-game season. But what can the Lakers do in terms of forging an identity this season? And do you think that they can recognize that flaw from last season's team and actually actually fix it? I think they can fix it. And I think it starts with continuity, bringing some of the guys that you've already seen that, okay, this is going to work for our team, bringing them back. An Austin Reeves, a Stanley Johnson, a Winyan Gabriel. Young guys who are going to go out there and play hard no matter what the score is. And then you fix everything on the fringe. So all the vet minimums that you signed last year, now you got a chance to redo it. Now you look for, okay, we know specifically we need three and D players. We don't want specialists anymore. We want guys who are going to be able, like I said earlier, to bring it on both sides of the court and guys who complement LeBron James and Anthony Davis. At, at the end of the day, um, the offseason is a great chance to fix your team. And I think that over the last two years, they tried to overfix things after the championship, bringing in 
granted, looked like good moves at the time, bringing in a Schroeder, bringing in a Montrez Harrell, picking up an Andre Drummond halfway through the year. But when you're not having that same chemistry, you get a guy, you get guys just looking at LeBron James a lot of the time while he has the ball. If you bring in guys who know their role, know what they're going to do, know what they're going to bring every night, like a Caruso, like a Caldwell Pope back in the day, then I believe that'll help us ultimately get more wins. But again, it, do I trust the Lakers, you know, the Lakers front office to get it done with these free agents? I don't know. I trust them in the draft as far as mm -hmm. developmental wise. They've shown they know how to pick the right guys. But it seems like they go into every offseason as of late and try to overfix things instead of tweaking things. So this is another opportunity to get it right. And I believe they will. But I, I, I think they really need to do a thorough, soldier, thorough search and really hunker down on what it is that they need. Yeah, cautious optimism, I think, is that is the phrase. That's I mean, that's where I'm at too. I'm hoping, hoping that they can come up right. with a plan. And I think the coaching hire is a big factor here. Who you yes. who you bring in as a head coach, that is gonna help forge this identity as a team. So once again, last season, there was no identity. And you mentioned everybody knowing their role. That was something you go back to the title team, the 2019-2020 team at Media Day, which I mean Media Day we're talking is before training camp even. Jared Dudley was talking about every guy knowing their role, how every guy on the team already knew their role. I vividly remember this, this discussion with Jared Dudley where he talked all about these guys all understand exactly what their role was. He did say the exception was Kyle Kuzma, and that was simply a nod to his versatility where nobody was exactly sure you know, what role he was going to fit in. But every other guy on the team completely understood what their job was. I don't feel like at any point this season the majority of the players knew exactly what the team needed from them in order to win basketball games. Part of that is injuries. Part of that is roster construction. Part of that is coaching. But a lot of it, too, is just how the team's put together. So I want to see some sort of a cohesive plan. I want to see, I think the first question that you need to answer is the coach. Who's, who's going to be your coach? Because that's going to determine play style and things like that to a degree. But then I think the next important question, because I think we can say all day, you need 3 and D players. You need big wings. Yes, uh, check, of, of course. But the next big question is, what is Anthony Davis? Is he a center? Is he a power forward? If it's the latter, what kind of center do you want to put next to him? Do you need to go find a guy who's got some shooting range? Or are you better finding a traditional center, kind of the role JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard had on the title team? Do you go find someone like that? That is, I think, the next big question that needs to be addressed. And, of course, Russell Westbrook, but we'll get to that. But in right. terms of assuming Russ is gone, the next question they need to figure out is, what are we doing with Anthony Davis? Because I think that domino is going to lead you to a lot of other roster decisions. So, Mike, if it's if it's on you, if Rob Palenka calls you up and says, do we want to get a true traditional center to put next to Anthony Davis, what do you say? Um, I say yes, immediately. Okay. I, I've seen enough that we know Anthony Davis, he's just an injury-prone player. Let's just be honest about it. So I don't want him at the five banging with Embiid, with Jokic. I don't want him banging with those guys unless we absolutely need him. I'd rather have a true five center, uh, a JaVale McGee, who's an unrestricted free agent, a Damian Jones, who we've talked about multiple times, a lob threat, um, um, a post defender. I'd rather have a guy like that to bang with the big. And then when certain teams go small, as we see it a lot lately, then you can shift AD to the five 
And then you still have a guy like Winnie and Gabriel, not saying he's going to be the automatic go-to backup powerful, but then you can put a guy like Winnie and Gabriel out there with him because mm-hmm. he can stretch the floor a bit. So I'm more on the impression of getting through center, a solidified guy, a guy who doesn't need minutes too. That's the key oh. thing because it depends on the matchups in certain situations. There may be nights like we saw two years ago where JaVale McGee doesn't play, where Dwight Howard doesn't play, and where Davis plays more five. I think we need a guy who's hmm, what's the word for it? Not all about himself. So probably not <laughs> Team like first. a younger player. Yeah, you know, we got to get a guy who's willing to do whatever it is for the team to win. Again, going back to that roles conversation, a guy who understands his role. Hey, look, I'm here to bang with the bigs, get rebounds, protect the rim, and take on, you know, the bigger matchups for the big guy. And then when other teams go small, we run AD at the five find another stretch for or something along that nature who can play off of him. But we definitely need to get a, a solidified. I, w- I would welcome Andre Drummond back at this point. I didn't think he was horrible with us. I thought there were some things he did well, and he definitely can bang with some of those bigs in the league. So I definitely think we need a true center. I wonder if Drummond would accept a role, a, a sometime starter role like you're talking about, uh, if he would accept that or not. But I- I've got a lot of people in our chat that are bringing this up, and I think this is a good call. Uh, Mo Bamba from Orlando. So on the front office show this morning, Keith Smith and I were talking about the NBA draft lottery and Orlando getting the top pick. Well, the top three picks are are bigs. Keith, who lives in in Orlando, and so he's very close with the Magic, is pretty convinced that because of where they fell in the draft, Orlando is going to be done with Mo Bamba. I mean, not not, not looking at a sign and trade or anything, just done. He's going to be a free agent out there on the market. So what do you think about that fit with Mo Bamba as a big who can offer you some rim protection while still giving you a little bit of three-point shooting? Um, I think it's an interesting fit. I think he could he can clearly play alongside Anthony Davis because, like you already said, he can stretch the floor and he can protect the rim the bit, the rim a bit, excuse me. But my only question about Mo Obama is he's a little bit on the skinnier side, skin, skinnier mm-hmm. side, excuse me, can talk tonight. So I just, you know, against some of those matchups, like let's just take the beat. Do I really want him on Embiid? Those are the questions I have about Mo Obama. Can he really stick it with some of the, uh, a use of nurture? You know, some a guy like that, you know, 250 and up, guys who really put you in the post and can push you around. And then, like we've already discussed, I don't really want Anthony Davis on those type of players anyway because, again, he hasn't proven he can stay healthy. So that would be the only thing I would worry about Mobamba. Um, how would he react after getting rid of or um, after getting kicked out of Orlando mm-hmm. pretty much, coming to a new team? Is he ready to play playoff-level championship basketball? Those are some of the questions I would ask about myself. But as far as the skill set, I think he could, fits perfect alongside Anthony Davis. Yeah, I agreed. And I like that he's younger, too. You know, we saw this team with too many veterans who just didn't have fresh legs later in the season. Uh, I, I like Mobamba a lot. I think he's an intriguing option. I've got a lot of people in the chat who are mentioning are mentioning Kai Soto, uh, who I just spent uh, last week. I was out in a, a, Atlanta. I was kind of close to you somewhat, Mike. Um, yes. And I was I went to uh, Kai's workouts for a couple of days and went and saw the Atlanta open run that, they, that um, the Skill Factory was putting on. And uh, and Sakai play against NBA guys. Uh, Devontae Kaycock was was out there. Former Laker Devontae Kaycock. Former Laker Josh Powell was out there. You saw some some pretty solid talent that was out there. And I saw Kai. I, I like Kai a lot. I'm really intrigued by what I saw 
his shot is very, very fluid. More, more fluid than even I expected walking in. Mm-hmm. I knew he was a guy who could space the floor, but his shot was better than, than I expected in terms of the fluidity of it. Um, I can also say this, though. He just, like, I mean, last week turned 20. I think mm-hmm. you want to give him some time. And by the way, there's a bunch of videos here on the Lakers Nation YouTube channel uh, of our experiences there. You can see him working out. You can see some of the highlights from that. You can get my interview with Kai Soto. They're, they're living on the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. I also did a write-up, which included uh, some conversations with his trainer and things like that. It's over on LakersNation.com. I think tomorrow I'm going to publish my interview with Kai's trainer as well about kind of what they've been, been working through. But I like Kai Soto a lot. I think if you are looking at Kai as get this guy, who right now is projected to go undrafted. We'll see if that ha- if that stays the- that way after he works out for NBA teams. But if you get him, I don't think you get him and say, here's a starter day one. I think, right. and, I, and I don't even think that's to say his potential is to get there someday. I think he can, but I think that's asking a lot of a 20-year-old to, to just fill right into a starting list, particularly a guy who is projected to go at best probably in the second round, maybe undrafted. It's just asking a little bit too much. So I'm not against getting Kai at all. And again, I, I like him a lot. But if you get him, just be aware that you, know, you want to give him that time to develop. You're probably doing a disservice to him trying to throw him into too much game action right away. Right, I agree. And, and again, we're, we're in the Le- LeBron James era right now, so we need players that are going to be able to provide something on the court right now, not so much a developmental guy. So from there, from there, I am of the mindset, because we're starting to see a little bit more, maybe the Lakers bring back Russell Westbrook. There's some more rumblings about that. Um, they're, they're starting yep. to grow. I'm not saying it's legit. I'm not saying they're not going to try to move him, but... If, for whatever reason, the cost is simply too high to move Russ, I feel like you, from a roster construction standpoint, you kind of have to part with THT. And maybe they'll wind up parting with both of them. That That is a very, very possible outcome for this offseason for the Los Angeles Lakers. But if you don't, I think you have to part with at least one of them because I think together, they simply don't work. What are your thoughts on THT can you construct next year's Lakers roster with him involved, or do you think they need to to move on? Yeah, I, I think it's one or the other. I, I think you have to move them. Neither him or Westbrook stretch the floor enough for you. They both need the ball in their hands. And like we already said, LeBron James is predominantly going to have the ball in their hands. So everybody else is fighting for that opportunity, that responsibility after him. So it's definitely one or the other. I remember last time we talked, I said, you never know. You could end up having to keep Westbrook just because of the contract situation, how he's played throughout the season. Most likely, someone's going to try to fleece you for that mm-hmm. trade. So you, gotta, you might have to bring him back. So I think in that case, you definitely have to move THT. Um, it, it sucks to see another young player possibly getting moved out. But at the end of the day, like I just said, it's the LeBron James era. If you have a Russell Westbrook, you have a LeBron James, you don't need another primary ball Mm -hmm. handler, which THC needs to be, in my opinion, to be most successful. So, yes, you got to move him if, in fact, Westbrook ends up staying on the Lakers. And I don't remember the exact quote from THT, but he said something to that effect. That having the ball in his hands is when he's most comfortable. And that's tough to do when you're on the same team 
as LeBron James. Uh, just Sion said, Scuttlebutt is Westbrook is staying and will be cut after the All-Star break. I don't think cut. I mean, traded after the All-Star break, before the All-Star break, before the trade deadline. Okay, maybe, you know, we can discuss that. But uh, Russ being kept, there's some evidence that's growing to support that. There's the rumors that Phil Jackson is in his corner. Uh, there's there's a few things that are that are starting to come out. The Lakers, according to Sam Amick, talking to various coaches during the interview process about how they would utilize Russell Westbrook. Right now, I think it's all due diligence. I think they're going to try. I think they're going to try to move him. But I also think maybe an underrated piece to this is what is Russ saying? What does Russ want? I think that that matters in this whole situation. And people say, well, he can just decline his player option if he really wants to leave. True. But look, if, if okay. he did that, we would, you know, people in New York would be hearing the cheers emanating from El Segundo if Russell Westbrook declined his $47 million player option. It's not happening. It's not happening. Right. So what do you do with, with Russell Westbrook if you find yourself stuck in a situation where nobody will give you anything that you want back for him? The ideal would be to bring back a couple of pieces that you think can help you win next year. But if you can't find the right trade, what do you do? Do you actually bring him back? I think you have to, and I think you got to trust in your coaching search and trust in whoever you brings in finds the right way to use them. Now, there's certain things, obviously, about Westbrook that aren't going to magically get fixed because you change the coach. Free throw percentage, three-point shooting percentage. But if you bring in someone who can put him in better spots on the floor to be successful, may put him in the high post area, make him a playmaker from there, get him cut into the basket off screens, things of that nature, maybe we can be more successful like that and just play to his strengths more. Um, again, if you're keeping him, th these are the things we do know that he provides for the Lakers that we need. He's going to be there each and every night. That, that, that's one thing that about Westbrook that you're going to know. He's going to be there each and every night. And with LeBron James, Injured again this year. Anthony Davis got injured again this year. You need a guy who's going to be consistent. But again, I think it all starts with who they hire as the coach. And I, obviously, they've already admitted, they're already asking coaches, you know, how are you going to use Westbrook in your system? So I think that's the most important piece is just getting a coach who, one, believes in him and two, can put him in the right position to be successful. I also think, um, even though I'm not against non player coaches, I think some of these player coaches that are being interviewed, a Darvin Ham, a Mark Jackson, things of those natures can possibly have command a little bit more respect from Westbrook. Not saying that Vogel didn't have any, but I mean, I think it was clearly somewhat of a rip there. But if you have a Mark Jackson or a Darvin Ham, a guy who's played the game, seen the game and been around the game, well respected around the league, I think what that would help Westbrook buy in a little bit more to whatever they're trying to do. So I think for me, it just starts with the coaching search right there. Is there a path to make it work with Russell Westbrook? I mean, on paper, LeBron and Russ together is a messy fit at best. I felt like Frank Vogel mm -hmm. tried just about everything he could. He was throwing everything at the wall, seeing what would stick. What What is a different coach coming in change in terms of getting Russ to, to fit on the floor? Um, I think one thing that could change is just where they put in positions they're putting in him again to be successful. Like I like when Russ was at the high post and we had people moving off ball and he's able to make decisions from there and attack the basket from there.
Because from the high post, you're still guarding Westbrook to a certain extent because you don't want to get him ahead of steam headed to the basket because that's when he's at his best. So I think it kind of starts there where you're putting him on the floor and then also his usage rate. I know we want the ball in LeBron's yep. hand. I totally understand that. The ball is not in anyone's hand that's going to be better than LeBron James. But if you have a guy like Westbrook and he's better with the ball a little bit more in his hand, then we got to give it to him. We got to put make sure we're putting the correct lineups around him that he can be successful, that the floor is spread. He works good with a true center. For years, he worked very well with a Steven Adams. He worked good with a Capella for a little while until they ultimately decided to go small ball. So I think it's still some things there that you could tweak and change for Westbrook. But I feel like a big part of it is part of Westbrook buying in, realizing that, hey, it's not all about you. You're a piece to a big machine here, which is LeBron James and Anthony Davis. We just need you, you know, to fine tune things when they come off the court, keep the other role players involved and go get yours at the right opportunities. I think it all starts there where we're putting them at on the floor and how often he's getting a chance to be that player. That, that's interesting. I've had the approach this offseason of you need to move Russ if, if just to clear the air and, and try to um, get a fresh start for next right. season um, just because of how poorly this went. And, and this season was not all Russell Westbrook's fault, but he was the big marquee move. He was the spotlight move, right, that everybody's looking at. So a lot of it gets chalked up to Russell Westbrook. And again, it's not all his fault, but I don't think he really helped the situation either, particularly when you look at what they gave up in order to get him. You look at the contract, the complications with that and everything. I think if you can, if you do wind up having to stick with him, you've got to find somebody who can try to maximize him. But I also think there's varying degrees here. And I've got some people in the chat that are mentioning, well, Russ, if he declines even further, well, then, you're, then you've got some problems. There was a point in Russ's career where doing whatever it could, to, where you, whatever you could to get the best out of Russell Westbrook meant winning basketball games because Russ was that good. But for every player, there's a point where the stuff you have to do in order to get the best out of that player is no longer conducive to winning basketball because the player's not quite that that player anymore i don't know if we've crossed that line yet or not with russell westbrook last season would suggest yes but maybe there is a way that a new head coach can come in and try to get more out of him and then you can find a new home for him at the trade deadline or just let his contract expire whatever you do i don't know though i think that there's bad blood between lakers fans and russ we certainly saw that too if he comes back i think they have to win I think that's that's the only solution. If he comes back, the only way to fix it is to win. Winning cures all. The only way it can work is to actually win games. If he comes back and they're just kind of 500 or something, it's going to be another mess. Agreed. And and like you said, win, winning cures everything. It's all going to be dependent upon this new coach and if he's able to grab the ear of all these superstars under one roof and get them to work together. I, I do think, even though I'm all for Russ being traded, that was for the offseason. If we do keep him, man, just thinking back to the games this past year, yeah, the 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 you know the bloopers were bad of him shooting the ball off the backboard and things of that nature. But man, he missed so many layups, and I, I just sometimes sit back and wonder, is he that? Is he that far gone where he, he's missing layups at this high of a rate? Will he have another year like that? 
I would like to have seen him if if he was just maybe finishing his layups and his drives around the basket. You know how much better we could have been. Obviously, he has to cut down on the turnovers. I totally understand that. But man, I just just to see him look so anemic when as far as driving to the basket, it, it was just rough for me to see. And I just wonder, is he really that bad where he can't finish layups around bunnies around the rim anymore? I, I think at least up to the trade deadline, if we have to keep them, it's worth seeing. Now, like you said, if, if we're still sitting around 500, 15 to 20 games in, maybe even 25, then it's it's time to go ahead and start looking for another trade partner because I'm sure you'll be able to move them closer to the deadline. But, man, I, I'm just holding out hope that he's not as horrible as we saw last year. Well, that, that, I mean, we're all going to be, if they wind up keeping him, we're all going to be hoping that, that it isn't, right. isn't as bad as it was, certainly. Uh, Vector Nova said with a super chat, it has to be Westbrook. THT is younger, cheaper. We could probably hope for him to improve without Russ. Russ is only going to decline further. Again, I think you, I think you hurt your investment in Taylor Horton Tucker when you got Russell Westbrook. So yeah. that's going to be a, a problem. Uh, for the Lakers, so I, I think if you do if you do find yourself in a situation where you've got to keep Russ, I think it just you have that much more incentive to trade THG because once again I don't think those two can coexist on the floor at the same time. Too many of the same weaknesses. Uh, we got Brandon Robinson with a a fifty dollars super chat. My goodness, thank thank you, Brandon. That's a that's a nice one. Uh, Russ THG and two firsts for John Wall and Christian Wood. Christian Wood will have to be able to step in for AD when he gets injured and vice versa. Then, when they're both healthy, you have an amazing front court with Braun, AD, and Christian Wood. If that is on the table, Russ, AD, 2027-2029 first-round picks, you get Christian Wood and John Wall from the Houston Rockets. Are you doing that trade? Negative. I'm not doing that trade. Um, at first, I thought you said... I thought you said the trade without AD, but now that I've heard it correctly, AD for Christian Wood, I'm not doing No, no, it. AD is, it would be AD's playing with Christian Wood. It's Russ, THT, oh, okay. and two firsts. So Russell Westbrook, Taylor Horton Tucker, and a couple of firsts. Uh, okay, well, that one I'm, I'm more prone to do. Okay. Because one, we've already determined that, hey, these two guys can't play together, and they weren't what we expected them to be last year. Now, you bring in a John Wall who, look, we already understand. We have a lot of questions about how healthy he is. And he does present kind of some of the same problems that Russell Westbrook presents. Mm -hmm. But I am under the belief, you know, after a guy's been out for a few years, I'm sure he saw what happened in Lakerland. He'd be a little bit more willing to adjust to work aside, work aside of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And you're bringing in a Christian Wood, another big who can step out, knock down a shot provide you some of the same skill set that an AD could do, I think that's definitely worth looking at if you can't find anything better. I think those guys come in. Um, John Wall, if he still has something you know, left in the tank, he's a very, I think he's a better defender than a Russell Westbrook at the point guard position. Um, he could still create for others, and let's see if he still has that quickness to get to the basket. But, yeah, if you're throwing in Christian Wood with it, I definitely think that's something to consider because you're getting in Again, another big who can provide you a similar sort of skill set, especially if Anthony Davis gets hurt. You get mm -hmm. a guy who could be a stretch, get some rebounds. Not a great rim protector, but, you know, with effort and right coaching, you know, he could become better at it. I think that's something we should look at, if possible. Yeah, I I am a big fan of, of Christian Wood. I, I like his game. For a long time, I've thought he'd be a really intriguing fit 
next to Anthony Davis. Um, John Wall, do we know what he has? We haven't seen him play basketball in over a year. Uh, I think if anybody's going to know, though, that's not the Houston Rockets. It's probably the Lakers. Well, maybe the Miami Heat because he's been training in Miami. But it's probably the Lakers because Clutch Sports, he's a Clutch Sports client. So they can probably tell him, tell the Lakers how good John Wall is, where he's at right now. Um, I think the the issue is, for me, if I'm giving up both those first, I should be completely clearing Russ's salary or bringing, or bringing in guys who I think just straight up fit better not just swapping out Russ for John Wall, who, like you said, might have some of the same problems. Now, if it's one first, okay, I, I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested because then I'm looking at it as Russ for John Wall, the same contract, maybe similar problems. You're just trying to see if maybe the chemistry is a little bit better with one player over another. Okay, maybe that's that's worth something there. But THT and a first for Christian Wood, that feels about right, value-wise. So I'd be interested in that one. Two firsts, a uh, little bit much. If I was clearing Russ's salary somehow and it was a three-team deal or something like that, okay, then then we can talk two firsts. But for me, uh, if it's just straight up Lakers to the Rockets, one first would probably be about as far as I would go. But it's interesting. It's really interesting. And I like the versatility of Christian Wood to either play the five next to AD or, uh, or play the four with AD at the five or then be the guy himself uh, if AD is out to uh, to man the middle for the Lakers and still give you floor spacing. So I'm interested in it. Uh, I don't know how realistic it is, but I do think we're going to hear the John Wall for Russ rumors pick up again as we get here into, into June. All right, everybody. Uh, we do need to take a short three-minute break for our advertiser here, Athletic Greens. We'll be right back in three minutes. Got a couple of questions that we're going to get into, some about LeBron James. We're going to talk about his longevity as well. So we'll be back in just three short minutes. Lakers Nation, I want to pause for a moment and talk a little bit about athletic greens. I started taking AG1 because for me personally, I was interested in recovery. Number one, I've been trying to get back into shape and spending a lot of time in the gym, lifting weights, doing all those sorts of things. And I wanted to see if it could help with my recovery process and what that looks like. We all know how important recovery is in any type of athletic endeavor. And then also the mental clarity part of it. I'm the type of person where I've noticed, you know, middle of the day, I start to just hit this lull, this wall that I, I run into. And I've just found I'm just not as productive as I should be. And I'll admit, I was pretty skeptical when I went into this, uh, when I started taking AG1, but I've been very, very pleasantly surprised. Not only has my recovery improved, and I've been taking AG1 for about three weeks now, I've been making noticeable improvements in the gym, but the mental clarity piece to this, the energy piece to this, it has been noticeable. In the afternoons, I simply have more focus, more energy. I just noticed suddenly I'm getting way more done during the day, I'm accomplishing more tasks on my to-do list rather than pushing off to the next day. And that means for all of you, that means more Lakers Nation content, more NBA front office content, everything else that we bring. It's been absolutely fantastic. I can't believe how productive I've been while taking AG1. So what is AG1? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. And that is exactly how I take it. It's the first thing I take in the morning. Instead of getting coffee or an energy drink or something like that, I drink my AG1. 
One, this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, aging, all of the things all in one. And it costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself that you would have to go out and find. You're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens, it was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover. It cost him over $100 per day. He created Athletic Greens after experiencing how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition routine on your own. And for me, I'm super busy. The sports world, it moves at a lightning fast pace. So Athletic Greens, very quick, very simple for me to get my nutrition in one place. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash LakersNation. Again, it's athleticgreens.com slash LakersNation to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Okay, and we are back. Uh, I've got a couple of super chats here to get into. Once again, we do still need to talk a little bit about uh, LeBron James, but this is a follow-up to the Rockets trade. Uh, Mr. B. Lloyd, the Super Chat said, instead of Wall and Wood, how about Eric Gordon and Wood, or Russ, a first, maybe a couple of seconds, then find another guard to go with this group. I don't know if I can see the Rockets taking on Russ when they already have John Wall. I mean, you're talking about, what is that, 90-plus million? $95 million in... Russell Westbrook and John Wall. I don't see them doing it. Yeah, it'd be hard to play those. How how are you playing? You would have to move one of them. You, I guess, you would have to move Wall eventually. Yeah, you'd you'd have to assume that they're just eating those salary. I mean, they they told Wall to stay home last year. It would have to be a yeah. similar situation because uh, that's a lot. That's a lot to spend on two thirty-plus-year-old point guards who rely on their athleticism. That's that's a lot. Um, if they didn't have John Wall, okay, maybe. It's a young team. They can pick up some assets, eat some salary that expires after the end of the year. I think, But I think the presence of John Wall is a, is a problem in that situation. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about LeBron James and LeBron's longevity because LeBron did a Q&A on Twitter the other day. And uh, from Lakers Nation, Mark Gunnels did a video on this earlier today, kind of breaking down what this really means. LeBron said he is still very, very locked in, said he's psycho about training and and all of that, and that it doesn't sound like he's ready to hang him up anytime soon. This is going to be LeBron's age 38 season coming up. I've been saying he could have been, if the Lakers won more games and he had stayed a little bit healthier, could have been an MVP candidate this season. That's the level that he was playing at. So what are we thinking on LeBron James if it's sounding like he's going to play or maybe not just another two years, but a bit, quite a bit longer than that. What does that mean for for the Lakers? Well, if he's deciding to play out all those years with the Lakers, that means it's just that many X amount of years that you're competing for a championship, looking for players to put around him, 
to try and go and win a champion at the end of the day. Now, if it's just a two-year thing and then he's trying to go play with Bronny, if Bronny's in the league by then, you get what you, again, nothing changes. Next two years, it's, it's pedal to the metal, putting the right players around him and Anthony Davis and trying to win a championship until he leaves. And then you cross that bridge when you get to it, whether it's a total rebuild, which I doubt, or whether it's a retool, uh, a retooling sort of situation. But I think as long as he's here, and especially at the level he's still able to play at, you know, if, if we could just bring in some more guys who could, you know, eat up some of those minutes where he's playing 39 to 40 during the regular season, we're still able to win games and we're able to protect him a little bit more. That that would be great in my opinion. But again, injuries can happen at any point, 15, 40 minutes, so it doesn't matter there. But I think as long as LeBron James is on your team, we're going for a championship. We're trying to put the right players around. I'm playing the simple. Well, and I think this matters in terms of how willing are you to give up future stuff, assets, in order to build a winning team right now. If you believe that, hey, we're going to have LeBron, and whether or not he signs an extension this summer, we're going to have LeBron on this team for three more years, for four more years. Like most people are looking at this assuming 2024 will be LeBron's final season. That's that's the way right. most people are looking at it because he said he wants to play with Bronny and he'll go to whatever team Bronny goes to. Most people are assuming, okay, Bronny gets drafted in 2024. LeBron's a Laker through at least 2023. Maybe he signs a one plus one deal. You get two years left with LeBron. And then 2024, he's a free agent, plays one more season with Bronny. That's three more years total of LeBron James in the NBA. And then he's done. If he's thinking, though, I'm feeling good, maybe I'm going to play five more years. And I'm going to spend four years with the Lakers. And then that fifth year, wherever Bronny's at, that's when I'm going to go to whatever team he's on. That's not something that he has specified. So if you're the Lakers and that's LeBron's mindset, now again, realistically, a player his age is just year to year. You can never know at what point they finally decide, hey, I'm done. Sometimes when it, when it goes away, it goes away quick. So, it, But if LeBron's mindset is right now, I'm going to play four plus more years. I think if you're the Lakers and you feel confident that LeBron's going to stick around all that time, it gives you a little bit more incentive to go ahead and make those future moves knowing that taking on salary or, or trading away future picks, it's not going to be just a one-year shot and then, oh, no, we're into a rebuild because LeBron just left. Right. I agree. And again, at the level he's playing at right now, even let's say it is four years, if he starts to decline, look, a LeBron James decline is still, what, a top five player in the league no matter what. I don't see him dropping off a cliff anywhere. He's still the smartest player in basketball. Could average 10 assists in his sleep if he had the, the ball in his hands that much. So, again, as long as he's saying he's still here with the Lakers or if there's any way that he's implying it, you just continue to put the right pieces around him because, again, he makes others better and others play better around him, especially guys who can knock down the three balls we've learned. So, again, yeah, if LeBron's in a Laker uniform, we're doing whatever we can to win a championship because – Again, the dude just averaged over 30 points. Almost led the league in scoring, man. So you got you got to do what you can to capitalize, Mark. Uh, Carol Zorbano said, "So he will play until he's 43." Hmm. I don't. I don't know, but maybe. LOL. This is from Facebook. Vince Carter played until 43. 
Like if, if you look at the entire league today and you said which player could play until they're 43 years old, I think LeBron's the top of that list. Now, I'm not saying he's going to want to. Maybe he doesn't want to. But if you said out of anybody in the league who could play until 43, who could do it, I think it's LeBron. The question becomes, though, like Vince Carter hit a point in his career where he said, I know I'm not the guy anymore. I'm not the star. I'm not going to play every night. I'm not going to play a lot of minutes. I'm okay with that. I just want to be part of the game. I want to help young guys develop. That's going to be my mindset and my focus moving forward. He hit a point in his career where he was there. LeBron is not there. LeBron's not at that point, but it's possible. Who knows? Maybe at 40, LeBron gets to that point. And then the question becomes, is he okay with being that or not? Because if he's okay with not being the guy anymore, then sure, LeBron could play till 43. And who knows? Maybe LeBron's going to be like Tom Brady and he's still going to be effective at 42, 43 years old. But, but, I think LeBron could do it, even if he does decline, but it all depends on his mindset. Right. I, I agree with that. And he, again, even with a LeBron James getting older up in there in years, his role, like if we could just put him as the straight up point guard. You find some young guns who can go out there and give you those buckets mm -hmm. or a big, you know, another young guy coming up. All he has to do is sit there and feed all day. And then you still got to stop LeBron James in the post. Post games going nowhere, dude's two, two, what at this point, 260, 270. Yeah. So that's not going anywhere. So he's still going to be able to provide something even as he gets older. It's just all about staying healthy and being smart and again, putting the right pieces around him, roster construction. Uh, the comment here says LeBron is a thousand times better than Vince Carter, though. He doesn't drive as effectively or get fouls called enough. Oh, look, I, I agree. And I, I'm yeah. not saying LeBron and Vince Carter are the same player, the same level, or anything like that. I'm saying Vince Carter is an example of a guy who was a star, and when he hit the point that in his career when he no longer had it to be the star, mentally made the transition to not be that guy. And that's that's not an easy thing to do. That's not an easy thing. And imagine for if you're LeBron, same thing if you're Vince Carter, you've been told your entire life, your identity has been, I'm that guy. I'm that guy on my team. Whatever team I'm on, I'm the guy on this team. To suddenly, for the first time in your life, not be that anymore, that's not easy. Some guys can't do it. Some guys can't do it. And that's where we see guys ultimately leave the league a little bit earlier than they necessarily have to because they're just mentally accepting being a role player is not easy. And again, I'm not saying LeBron's anywhere close to being a role player. I said he was an MVP candidate this season, had the Lakers won more games, and he played a little bit more. Just saying it's, if he really wants to play as long as he possibly can, probably at some point, maybe it's five years from now, I don't know, he would have to cross that bridge. And so that's that's just all we're, we're bringing up here. Yep, perfect example. Allen Iverson, yep. towards the end of his career, go back and look up YouTube, man. Go look back how the end of his career went. Didn't want to come off the bench. Probably could have played a few more years. But hey, ultimately ended up having to retire. Yep, yep, exactly. Fantastic example. All right, let's do let's do one more here. Let's see what, we, what we've got. A lot of questions and comments coming in. A lot of people talking about, about LeBron. Uh, LeBron will focus on the all-time scoring leading. You know, I don't know if he'll focus on that. I think he gets it next year. I think he's in a Lakers jersey when it happens. Uh, I think that's yep. what we're going to see happen happen this year. Uh, Kareem played into his 40s. He also had an unstoppable move, though, that, that sky hook. That certainly helped him 
helped him do that. And Magic Johnson helped mm-hmm. a lot with them. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Trey Johnson from Facebook. We'll finish with this. Said, we need to be patient with trying to trade Russ. Worst case scenario, the John Wall trade will still be there at the deadline. I don't know if that's a guarantee. I mean, the Rockets are going to try to move Wall. I could see the Rockets, if they don't find a taker for him this summer, getting into a buyout negotiation. Because if you're John Wall, this summer, he's probably willing to give back a little bit more. Because he's already had one year of his career gone. Probably doesn't want to have a second. We've already heard rumors of teams who are going to be interested in John Wall should he be bought out, uh, namely Miami and, and the Clippers being the two teams that would be interested in him. I'm sure there'll be others too, but those are the ones we've heard so far. So I don't know if you can necessarily say with certainty that John Wall will still be there at the trade deadline, but I do think that the overall point is a good one that if you bring in a coach who is totally convinced that Russell Westbrook can come back and can fix things. And again, I am not convinced that this is the case, but if you bring in a coach that is convinced that he can find a better way to fit Russell Westbrook in with the roster, if there's nothing good on the table, nothing that you can find, then if you're the Lakers, you might just need to bite the bullet and see if you can find a trade before the trade deadline using him as that expiring contract rather than try to make a move that completely sacrifices your future. Right. And, and and I agree with the point of being patient. I mean, being patient to a certain extent, you don't want to rush into a deal, especially when you're dealing with this size of a contract. And considering what you're most likely going to have to bring in, you, you don't want to make any rash decisions. So I think just like they're doing with the coaching search, they should be surveying the landscape, make sure, you know, they don't leave any stone unturned and actually try to find the best deal you can get, whether that's bringing in a third star, or in my opinion, um, just judging off the playoffs, bringing in, you know, maybe three starting caliber players or two starting and one significant role player, something along those lines to make your team deeper. I think that's what you do. So I agree with the overall point of it, you got to be patient and find the right deal and don't make a rash decision that can mess you up for years to come. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll see what Rob Palenka can pull off. I think he's got a lot riding on this season as well. But that, that is a conversation for another day. That's a whole other deep dive that we can get into. Well, I want to thank everybody for coming in and, and joining us, coming in from YouTube, from Facebook, and Twitter. Thank you guys for joining us live. Again, if you're listening to the podcast version of this over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is, make sure that you do uh, leave us that five-star rating or give us a rating over on uh, Spotify as well. Mike, thanks so much for coming on here tonight. This was a lot of fun. Hey, man, thanks for having me. You know, I always enjoy talking Lakers basketball, so whenever you need me again, you know where to find me. All right, that sounds great. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Till next time, see ya, and stay safe.